Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. With all the conflicting science, news reports, and political bias, coupled with all the conspiracy theories behind this pandemic, it's really difficult to know who we can turn to for answers. Our next guest, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., shares these same frustrations, and he's on a mission to pull back the curtain and expose the truth. He's one of the nation's most vocal anti-vaccine activists, and we're going to discuss his views on the recently announced COVID-19 vaccine. This and much more. Stay tuned. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is an attorney, environmental and humanitarian activist. He's a New York Times best-selling author with a long list of published books, including Crimes Against Nature and Climate in Crisis. He's a leading defender of the environment and children's health, including several successful legal actions. He's received recognition for his role in the landmark victory against Monsanto, as well as in the DuPont case that inspired the movie Dark Waters. He was named one of Time Magazine's Heroes for the Planet and serves as president of Waterkeeper Alliance and is the founder of the Children's Health Defense. Welcome to the show, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Thank you, Dr. Friedman. I do want to say, I just want to clarify that I am not anti-vaccine. I'm, I'm for safe vaccines and robust science and independent regulators that are not corrupted by pharmaceutical industry money or partnerships. Um, if they come up with a safe, effective vaccine, I'm all for it. Uh, I want to see that happen. Right. And again, you know, that, that's your, being your big viewpoint is that a lot of this out there that we believe to be safe and all these uh, safety protocols don't have that. And I know we've got this Pfizer and Mandera's COVID-19 vaccine claiming 95 success rate. Should we be jumping for joy right now? Is this the magic vaccine we've been waiting for? Well, I don't think that either of those vaccines has claimed that they don't have any harmful side effects. The, the problem with those current vaccines with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. And, you know, there's a certain promise to those vaccines because if they actually made that technology work, it would be probably safer. If it, if it doesn't have unknown side effects, which is a big if, it would probably be better than the current methodologies for creating vaccines, which enjoy, involve a lot of really toxic ingredients, and particularly adjuvants, adjuvants uh, and preservatives, mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde, fetal tissue, which is in the actually in the oh, in the AstraZeneca vaccine that there, there is um, fetal tissue, but. We and and it's cancerous. Oh, it's been rendered immortal by making it cancerous. We have no idea what the impacts are on, on that. Now, the problem with the claims that they're ninety five percent effective is this: that they they only the Moderna vaccine has only there's only ninety five people that they're test that essentially are subjects of this. It's the impacts on those ninety five and. The vaccine does not, according to Tony Fauci, prevent transmissibility, which is the only reason we really want a vaccine, that it will interrupt transmission. So that if you get that vaccine, you can no longer give COVID to other people. And unfortunately, for all of these vaccines, there is zero evidence that they prevent transmission, which means they will not solve the lockdown problem. Because 
they actually have the potential to make it worse by turning people into asymptomatic carriers. So we all become kind of typhoid Mary. We're spreading the disease and we don't know we have it. The other problem is they don't, there's no testing that's been done that indicates that those two vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, will prevent either deaths or hospitalizations. So, and the only reason that you want a vaccine is if it prevents death, if it prevents hospitalizations and if it prevents transmission. And none of those vaccines do any of those things. So it's kind of a big bait and switch that they've pulled where they, they kept promising us, stay on lockdown, keep wearing masks, keep social distancing. We will bring you a vaccine that ends the lockdown, that stops transmission, that uh, stops all the deaths and hospitalizations, and yet the products that they've come up with do none of those things. And the big if is that we have no idea how many injuries they cause. The, the Moderna vaccine seems to be extremely reactogenic. In the phase one trial, 21%, there were three groups, a high-dose group, 21% of them got class three in injuries, which are the worst kind. Um, that, those were injuries that uh, where medical intervention or hospitalization is required, and 21% got those kind of injuries in the low-dose group, 6%. So they saw a very strong dose-related response, which is, you know, one of the indicators for toxicity. And this is extremely toxic where you see 21% of the people go down. And these were very, very healthy people. The only people they let into that study were people who had no comorbidities, who were not overweight, who didn't drink excessively, who had never smoked cigarettes, never jeweled, never had seizures or autoimmune disease in their families or personal histories. And that's not what the American public looks like. The American public, 54% of the American public has uh, comorbidities, has chronic disease. And there were nobody elderly in those studies. So what happens when you take that vaccine that put 6% down in the low-dose group and 21% in the high-dose group, and you give it to people who are frail elderly who have diabetes, who are 40 or 50 pounds overweight, um, that, you know, we don't know. We also don't know whether those vaccines are going to cause pathogenic priming over the long term. And that is the phenomena that we've seen with coronavirus vaccines, where people who get the vaccine and then are later exposed to coronavirus actually become very, very much sicker than if they were not vaccinated. And, and in in past cases actually died and the animals, the ferrets that they've tested this on have died because previous coronavirus vaccines. So it's unclear whether, you know, we're going to see those kind of injuries in the future. You, a lot of the, what the injuries that you see from vaccines that we know are caused by vaccines, the autoimmune diseases, the allergies, the, the cancers, our long-term illnesses have long diagnostic horizons, they have long incubation periods, and you will not see them in a two-month study. Yeah, it was a fast study, and you bring up a good point that it's it's not an accurate representation of the general population that the study was done as well. And, uh, you know, let me ask you, why do you think there's such a global movement to have every person vaccinated for disease that has a 99% recovery rate? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of money in it. 
I think, you know, there's, we've put 18 billion so far into just our country has committed 18 billion to the vaccine enterprise, only 1.4 billion into developing therapeutics and, you know, and other treatments, uh, antivirals, et cetera. So it's very lopsided. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, Dr. Friedman, why is this not a proportional response? We, for example, there's 1.5, 1.6 million people a year who die from tuberculosis. And tuberculosis is an upper vi- uh, respiratory viral infection. It kills the same number of people that COVID kills. And it's transmissible at approximately the same rates as COVID-19. And yet we don't wear masks or to protect us against tuberculosis. We don't, wear, we don't lock down. We're not social distancing. And why is that? And I would say that the reason is that there is an existing vaccine for tuberculosis and it costs about $3 a shot. And so there's no money in it, but there is no vaccine for coronavirus. And it's a huge opportunity for this industry. And they are driving the regulatory agencies and the regulatory response. Yeah. And they're, they're creating this fear. I just read before, before I, we spoke uh, an article today uh, research shows that uh, walking your dog is a 78% more likely risk to contract COVID-19. So don't walk your dog outside. Keep them inside. Let them crap on the carpet. I couldn't believe this. It's such a... <laughs> Have you seen this, Robert? Just, I just read this today. ABC News. No, I didn't see that today, but I did see the military study that came out yesterday that said that you know, where they, the Pentagon study, where they locked up and they and masked um, the study group, and then they had a placebo group, approximately the same side, a large study, which uh, who were told to wear no masks, not to do social distancing, and not to do lockdown. And the infection rate was much higher in the group that got locked down and that wore masks. And, you know, and that makes sense because. We know that one of the reasons that the flu is very contagious in the wintertime in the Northern Hemisphere is because people are locked down, you know, because they don't want to go out into the weather. And that when the weather gets warmer and people go outside and they start getting more fresh air and sunshine, that the virus, uh, the flu virus disappears. And... um so it makes sense that, you know, there, there is no data. There are no data that indicate that lockdowns actually work. And um, there, there are, there's increasing emerging data that indicate that the lockdowns and even the masks are uh, actually harmful. And I, you know, CHD and myself, we don't take positions on lockdown or masks, but we do post the studies on our website. You can go to CHD website and you can see uh, dozens and dozens of the of mass studies, the more recent ones that CDC has created to uh, justify masking. And then the, you know, the years of maybe a hundred studies that show that masking does not work against viruses. We, you know, there is, there are no good studies on coronavirus 19, but there are many studies on flu and other upper uh, upper respiratory viral infections that indicate even in a hospital setting, this surprised me, 
1981 study where it was the biggest hospital in London told all the doctors and medical staffs we're not going to wear masks for six months and we're going to do a study. And the infection rates dropped dramatically during that six-month period. And I thought that has to be an anomaly, but it's really an interesting study. But then we found dozens of more studies that say the exact same thing. Even in the hospital setting, the masks are of dubious efficacy, and they may even be harmful because they become media for for the disease. They're like petri dishes for disease. They're humid, and they're, they're good media to grow on. And it may actually spread uh, disease. So... We, you know, again, we don't take a position on it, um, but we do look at the science and we urge other people to look at the science. And we have not been able to find a single, not one, peer-reviewed study that is a, um, a randomized placebo-controlled study that shows that masks actually work to prevent viral transmission. Now, there, the studies that CDC has done where you'll say, oh, we, you know, we've got a study that show the masks work. What they generally do is there are studies that, that look at droplet size. Oh, they examine the droplets. The, the presumption is that larger droplets will be more efficient at spreading virus. And if you can reduce or atomize the, the size of the aerosol droplets, you then diminish the capacity of the virus to spread, but nobody really knows that. You know, that is a kind of presumption that you're going into that study with, and they can do show that the droplet size reduce, but as I said, there are no studies that show that they actually inhibit uh, or interrupt the spread of the disease. Yeah, I treat a virologist that comes in, and I asked his opinion, and, and he laughed when I asked him about the mask. He says, why do you think we cover our entire head when we're, when we're studying in the lab viruses? Says, I said, wow, that just you don't have to go any deeper than that. It's so true. It's, it, it's, it's designed for, like, thicker particles. He said bacteria, but, but he, he rolled his eyes. I'm like, this guy knows his stuff, and like you mentioned, there's no science behind that. So, you know, it's beyond me. But one, one thing I want to share is, is I watched this friendly debate, you know, with renowned attorney Alan Dershowitz that you had. And of course, he claimed the government has the legal right to force Americans to get this COVID-19 vaccine. And for a disease with such a high recovery rate, do you think people will eventually be forced against their will to get this vaccine? Um, I think there's going to be some coercion. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's there are people out there right now who are sort of central figures in the medical cartel and and elsewhere, who are already advocating for mandatory vaccination. And there are countries and states that, you know, the New York Bar Association has taken the position that it should be mandatory. So there are serious, powerful people who are advocating that it become mandatory without ever having seen the, the, the vaccine. So it's a, it's a speculative, hypothetical medicine that has never been tested and never been, you know, tested for safety or seriously for efficacy, and yet people are are saying we should be mandated, and that doesn't make any sense. What I think you will see from the beginning is um, coercion. So it may not be a statewide law, but it will be hospitals 
and colleges and schools that say you cannot attend unless you can show that you've been vaccinated. Airlines that may, you know, take that position. But, but basically, you know, your freedoms will be restricted if you do not show that you've been vaccinated. So I think we're, we will certainly experience that kind of coercion. Wow. That's awful. Where does, uh, I'm curious, where do you feel Bill Gates fit into all this? I know he's not a doctor nor a scientist, and there's a lot of rumors out there, including developing a microchip for population control. What do you believe is the connection between the founder of Microsoft and this pandemic? Well, you know, well, I don't, I don't look into Bill Gates' head, but what I would say there's a pattern to his conduct, and he's played a, a key role, obviously, in the lockdown. Um, and, you know, being a constant presence on TV, saying we all have to say lockdown, we have to suspend the economy until um, until we get a magical vaccine, in his words. And, and he is uh, developing, he's part of the financing and the development of, of most of the leading candidates of vaccines. Um, he, you know, I think he has this belief that he is, he appears to have a belief that the, the that technology can solve all human problems and that good health comes in a syringe. And that, and it's this very narrow view of, you know, of, uh, of, of it's basically the pharmaceutical paradigm that, you know, um, the human immune system is not sufficient and needs help. That technology is here to save the day and that he has been anointed to deliver that technology to all of us. And it's a top-down command structure that I think makes a lot of people very uneasy. And his faith in technology is also seems to underlie his advocacy for GMOs in the agricultural area, for chemical fertilizers, his big investments in Monsanto, and also in the educational sector with, you know, his kind of, um, you know, reliance or his advocacy for connectivity and, you know, um, and 5G and all the schools, et cetera. And so, you know, Anyway, it's it's troubling. Let me put it that way. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. It is and he does and he does. You know, I don't know. He he has a long term interest. I'll say about population control. He has a long term interest in population control. The WHO was involved in a scandal in 2014 in Kenya, uh, where it um, used a stealth sterilization a drug and a fake uh, tetanus campaign to inject a million women, uh, fertile women in Kenya with a, uh, with human gonadotrophic hormone and tetanus toxoid to sterilize them uh, without telling them. And that is troubling the Catholic church and the Catholic doctors association caught them doing that. Uh, and, you know, so uh, I think the WHO, at least, has been deeply involved in in uh, in those kind of coercive population control um, campaign, and he himself, Gates, has um, has also been deeply involved in uh, in birth control, and you know, his father was at Planned Parenthood. He has a long, long, very vocal commitment to that. 
And I don't know where the chips fit in, but he has made, and this again is non-controversial, it's in his public statements that he's made multiple investments in subdermal chip systems, and Microsoft has patented subdermal chips that will um, subject humans to surveillance, to extra surveillance, allow us to carry our medical records with us uh, in a way that they, our bodies can be scanned with body scanners according to their own advertisements that can hook uh, to a, an adaptation to a regular cell phone, uh, but also that we'll be able to monitor human behavior. The, the Microsoft patent allows um, allows uh, a 24-hour monitoring of, you know, of, of various uh, behavior, EEGs and adrenaline and blood uh, flow levels and heart rates, et cetera. And will, according to the patent, uh, the people who agree to install this technology in their bodies will receive commands from cell phones. You look at a certain advertisement on TV, you walk down a certain aisle in the, in the shopping uh, center, you, you listen to a download of a certain music video or whatever, and you will then get rewarded with cryptocurrency on your, uh, into your payroll, your digital payroll account once you complete that task. So that's scary because, you know, the task might be something more sinister, like take a vaccine or whatever. Um, but a- anyway, I'm not saying this. This is what Microsoft says in its patent application. Right. But uh, you know, this is—I've seen—I've seen this. This is, sounds like a science fiction movie, but this is actually taking place. This technology is being created, and what really scares me is, uh, you know, population control. I've seen him talk about that we have an issue with being overpopulated. Case closed. I'm not. I don't want this man even part of something that's going to shove in my arm. He just announced that he thinks we're overpopulated. I'm going to put my arm out. Go ahead and inject me. <laughs> right? It is. You know, you, you think, well, this is just a science fiction nightmare, but it won't happen. But, you know, they've just managed with his cheerleading to shut down the economy. It's a cost to the global economy of $97 trillion. And they've destroyed the middle class. They've put everybody out of work. And, you know, it's hard to think. It's hard. And they've shifted all of this wealth billions of dollars to him and his Silicon Valley cronies and who are cashing in, who are, who are censoring Microsoft is censoring criticism of, uh, on Bing of, of, uh, pharmaceutical products. So they're, you know, they've got control of this whole thing and they're going to, everybody's going to lose their job. And I think people will say, you know, well, if I can make a couple of bucks by injecting a chip and, and uh, taking commands from it, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to feed myself and my family. So I think we're in a science fiction nightmare right now. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. You are such a crusader for righteousness. I admire your truth-seeking mission and appreciate all that you are doing for mankind and our planet. To learn more about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., go to childrenshealthdefense.org. 
This website offers a ton of resources, including articles, videos, and all the latest science, legislation, and free ebooks that you can download. While there, be sure and sign up for Robert's free Defender newsletter so you can stay up to date with all the latest. I'm a subscriber. That website, again, is childrenshealthdefense.org. You can follow Robert on Instagram and Twitter at Robert F. Kennedy Jr. On Facebook, he's at RFKJR. For my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram. It's Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to YouGoodHealthRadio.com or RadioMD.com. And while you're there, peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself, especially today's segment. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.